That's good. Um, okay. So we're going to go through and we're going to continue, kind of wrap up um, what we talked about this morning. This morning was very, um, there were a lot of scientific arguments and logical conclusions, which is, which is good, but I like the stuff when we get into Scripture. And we did get into Scripture, but there was a lot of discussion and examples and uh, illustrations before that. It's not going to be that way tonight. Tonight, we're going to actually take a look at several large portions of Scripture. We're just going to break it down as simply as we can to answer the last part of question two, and then question three and four. So we talked about this question, how can evil and wickedness exist in a creation brought about by the work of a loving, holy, just, and righteous God? It's important, we didn't really touch on this this morning, but it's important to recognize all the descriptions of God here. These speak about all of his natures and his attributes and what the atheists, and I'm just saying the atheists, it could be anybody you know, that de- denies God as being who he is. It's commonly the atheist. But a lot of people, they, they, they look at God as this impersonal being. Do you understand what I mean by that? We kind of have this idea that um, there's no personality, there's no intention, it's all just kind of things are moving. There are theologies that believe that. You know, for example, there's, there's a teaching that every single thing that we see in the known universe is God. When, you know, that pew that you're sitting in, you know, God is that, the tree outside, that is also God. And we, we know these things not to be true by the description in Scripture, but a lot of people, they don't realize some of the things they bring into their study of the Scripture. I think it's very healthy to question the way that you study the Scripture. I don't mean you, you check everything, but ask yourself, am I doing this correctly? You know, is, am, I, am, I, am I coming into this with any kind of bias that's not supported by the Scripture? You're going to find a lot can be mined out of the Scripture with that kind of approach. And most of the time, you're going to have the 1-1 syndrome. And you say, what's the 1-1 syndrome? Chapter 1, verse 1. That's what you're going to have. You're going to go, i got to understand the entire theme of this, mess, of this, of this book. Uh, Dr. Gilbert right now in Sunday school is going through Proverbs. That's a good study. And there's a solid nine chapters there before you get to the if-then you know, that goes through most of the book. There's a solid nine chapters in there on how to raise kids. And you may say, what? How, how so? Well, the, the whole viewpoint of Proverbs is the instruction from a father to a son. And I don't think that's wrong if you as a parent train your kids off of wisdom that's found in Proverbs. That's the intention of it. But if we just rush to you know, one section of Proverbs and we say, oh, you know, this, you know, this is really important. It's important, but it's also part of an entire piece. How many of you have done puzzles that are over like 500 pieces? Anybody done puzzles like that? You guys are crazy. You're all nuts. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what I was thinking, but one time I bought a puzzle. It was, I think it was like a Star Wars puzzle or something. It's a thousand pieces. And just recently, this is comical, I thought, I'm just going to use the dining room table to do this. Well, I have a one-year-old daughter. So, you know, puzzles go missing. <laughs> uh, puzzle pieces go missing and all that. And you got to put, like, food on the table and stuff. We're not without kids anymore. So life has changed. I just remember, like, the significance of trying to find the four corners just to start the thing. You're sifting through all these pieces, and you're looking at the box, and you're looking at the, you're looking at that. Then you find three, and then you find the fourth one, and now you're trying to build a border, and you're like, this is, this is not fun. 
I can't imagine trying to do that puzzle without a completed picture to look at. I want you to think of Scripture the same way. There's a completed view of Scripture, but you as a Bible student, you're getting into finding the corners, you know, building specific images that are, up, are up all a part of the whole, but it'd be wrong to take you know, one part of the puzzle and say, this is the whole thing. You see the error in that? It's a part of the message, but it's not the whole message. And that's actually question number three that we'll get into. What is God's purpose for man? But as we're going through this first part, it's important to recognize that God is a personal God. He, he is love. He just doesn't, it's not that he just demonstrates it. He is love. He has demonstrated it. He can be known by man, by sinful man, he can be known. And he's chosen to reveal himself through the word and in the person of Jesus Christ. Once we that, that, that is a common theme from Genesis to Revelation. You'll see that as we study tonight. Earlier in the morning message, we talked about moral evil, and we're going to talk about natural evil here in a moment. But just as a recap, the moral evil, the reason why it's, you got a question mark up there is because some would say if God is just and holy and righteous and loving then why would there be moral evil in the world? Now, what's the difference between moral evil and natural evil? Well, moral evil talks about man, just man. All right? We think about murder, uh, theft, you know, rape, these types of things that come from man. Okay, that's moral evil. And the, the question would be, how can wickedness and evil exist under the leadership of an all-powerful God. Couldn't he just zap those things out of existence? Well, he could, but he's a God of order and justice, and so there has to be justice on that evil. It has to be paid for. This is the significance of the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Think about this for a moment. Without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Remission. In the, in the confession of faith, here at the church, we say four sins, but that's not in there, but it's implied. Because every year, multiple feasts that Israel would observe, the shedding of blood is a large part of that. The, the, the most important one, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, was a picture of the atoning work of Christ that would come to pass. And Jesus did shed his blood on Calvary. Absolutely. And that, that is significant to our redemption. You go to Romans 3, 21, uh, uh, 20 through 26 there, that's very important. We're, we're redeemed by his blood. And without that blood being shed, there is no forgiveness of sins. So God, he, he is working through the problem of moral evil, but just because it exists doesn't mean that he's at fault for it. And this is why it's very important that we, I mean, you, we've been talking about this for months, about this free will issue. But when you take free will out, you have a God who not only brought it in, but he planned it. He planned all the evil. He made Adam do what he did. He made Eve do what she did, brought about all of that. He basically created the very thing that he would put his son on the cross for. That's, that's a major problem. That, 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 that's where you have a God who is conniving, uh, deceptive, and not a God of the Bible. But when you remove man's free will, that's all you get. But if you have God who's sovereign over all, and in his sovereignty, he's given man the responsibility and the ability to choose and the responsibility to choose on Christ, 
with reward in choosing Christ and with punishment in rejecting him, now everything fits. You keep God, all of God is still loving, he's still just, he's still holy. The problem is who? Man. Man's the problem. And that's what we discussed in the morning lecture. Lecture. <laughs> Sorry. Message. I'm teaching three times a week, so that's like normal in my, in my uh, vocabulary right now. But we looked at Titus 1, 1 through 4, and we also uh, looked at 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, speaking, speaking about how things were foreordained and the significance of that being in Christ and how God planned for eternal life before life was even created. There was a plan for this. But now we need to talk about the other side of the evil that's in the world, because it's not just that man is, is, is wicked. If you own property and you have home insurance or whatever, you're paying for this next thing, the natural evil. Okay, we, we can name some natural evil, right? Think, think of the storms that have uh, come across Florida. You know, I never thought in my wildest, you know, well, I don't want to say my wildest dreams, but uh, I would never thought that I would care so much when a, when a name storm came up about how much it would cost me. And you say, what do you mean? Well, every time, especially right now with the way things are going in the state of Florida and insurance, every time there's a named storm that causes your evacuation zone to, be, to have an executed evacuation, you're going to see that on your statement in the next year. Now you may say, why is that fair? Well, that's just how things are going right now. But hurricanes, earthquakes... Um, death in general, you know, the, the difficulty of the ground. A day like today is very important for our, for our soil. If we went months and months and months without a drop of rain, we would be in a world of hurt. You're in a famine at that point. You can't grow food at that point. It's kind of interesting when you look at how our whole system is working right now, we kind of think you just walk into Walmart and it'll always be stocked. Publix will always have food, whatever it may be. Well, if we were to have a famine in our country where there's not enough water and the crops can't grow, that even affects that processed food, you know? You run into a major problem. But the reason why there's famine and the ground is hard and things are difficult and, and, and animals are hostile towards one another and fear humans and all that is a result of natural evil. And this is something that is a consequence of man's sin. Now, some people struggle with this. Because there's a verse in Isaiah, I had it written down, but I chose not to get into it because it's, it's very complex to unpack, but it talks about that God created evil. And a lot of atheists point to that and say, see, he's, he's the very reason why these things happen. But contextually, what is being discussed in that passage is that the result of our sin, God brought about consequences. And those consequences, they, they are negative to us. But it's not God, God was not the first mover in that. Man's sin brought about it. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. And if you're in a discussion with somebody and they're an honest learner, well, let me say this. If they're an honest skeptic, they'll see this information and more more often than not, they will be satisfied by it. I've seen this personally. Um, as people begin to realize that there's a lot more that they don't understand than what they do understand, when they hear a good answer that's backed up by Scripture, if they're honest and they really just want answers, they'll be satisfied by it. This is an excellent, this passage here, Genesis 3, 16 through 19, is really good 
to put forward to somebody who would maybe look at natural evil, like disasters, famine, disease, and stuff, and say, how could God do that to us? Well, the greater question is, how could Adam and Eve do that to God? This is, they're, they're the first movers that brought these things about. But look at this. We're, we're, we're zooming in now. The fall has just happened. Man is now going to be uh, experiencing serious consequences. Genesis 3, 14 through 15 talks about the prophecy that would be coming, which would be Jesus. Verse 16 now turns to the creation, which is going to be first to the woman and then to Adam. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy what? Excuse me. Now, up until this point, I think sorrow is a foreign concept. Because everything that was happening in the garden was good. There was, you know, be fruitful, tend to the garden. And it was not like what we look at gardening today. I, I, I don't think they needed gloves and clippers and all that. Like, I got to go work in the garden again. It's probably great. And I've never done great gardening. You know what I'm saying? If, if anybody were to say, hey, you're going to be gardening the rest of your life, I'd be like, oh, that, my sorrow has been multiplied. But now this new concept of sorrow has been brought in. We know automatically fear was brought in as a result of the fall. We're naked. That was the first thing they said. Panic. They rushed to clothe themselves. Deception. Um, blame. Well, the woman made me do it. Well, the serpent made me do it. You know, all, all these things were brought in brand new concepts in, in uh, the human nature. But specifically here, sorrow to the woman, it's going to be multiplied and look at the rest of it, thy conception, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. I don't have to say any more than what's already been said, amen? I mean, child, bringing a child into this world is not easy. It is very difficult. And just as a side note, keep our ladies in the, in the church that are pregnant in prayer. They're all very close. First one you should be praying for right now is little Cheyenne, because <laughs> she is, she's ready. And then I think uh, either, I think Ashley's next, yep, and then Erica, and I'm telling you, you're going to be hearing it. Come October, we're going to know we have kids in the nursery, you know what I'm saying? And then, they're going to be, you know. But that, that's not something that, I'm not saying they're not looking forward to it. Obviously, they want to meet their children, but that's a very painful process. And, and, and there are drastic measures that are taken once the signs of childbirth have, have shown. You know, when the water breaks, you're not like... All right, let's get going. She's got some time to do some stretches. Maybe we can catch the last part of the game. Oh, it's time to go, you know? But that's, that's a result of sin. So this is what we would call a natural evil. I don't like calling it that, but that's what it's been labeled as. But this, I, I like it better this way. It's a consequence. You made a decision. There's a consequence for it. That does not make God evil. You know what would be evil? If God did not punish it as he said he would, he would be a liar. I've used this illustration before, but sometimes people look at God as the cool guy, right? He's like, oh, you know, you got sin, but I didn't see anything. We're all good. You know what I'm saying? That, that's a, uh, it's a miscarriage of justice. It really is. That sin must be paid. And God cannot just, you know, privately dismiss it and say, you know, because I love you, things are going to be okay. If we did that to our children, our children would be, their, their lives would be in danger. This just happened the other day. Remy was walking around in the kitchen, 
And we had just used the oven probably about 30 minutes ago. And the, you know, the oven was closed, but it's still warm to the touch. Well, for some reason, only God knows, she's never touched the oven before, you know? All of a sudden now, because she sees Kylo opening and closing it, she's like, I want to put my little hand on that. And you have to, as soon as you see that going, the reaction is quick, but you, ah, uh-uh. ah. And she knows when she hears, ah, 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 or no, 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 the, the tears start coming. But if I, were to just, if I were to say, well, I love you, so I don't, I don't want you to be crying and upset, so you can go ahead and continue doing what you were going to do, she could burn her hand and have consequences that would impact her for the rest of her life. So we, the problem is, we don't like being told what to do. That's the real problem. But God enacted these consequences, which people call natural evil, but he enacted these consequences as a result of sin. Continue. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall, have, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. I really like this part of Scripture because God gives his defense as to why he's doing what he's doing. Parents, it is really important. I'm, I'm not saying because I said so is bad, but at some point you need to explain to your children why what they're doing is wrong. And it's not just because your authority. We are all accountable to God. Because you know what's going to happen? When, when kids are told all their life, because I said so, because I said so, when they're 18, ain't no one there to say so anymore. And they go out and get into a bunch of problems, and they don't have a proper understanding of their relationship to God as far as God is the one who has authority over them, and there's an expectation for them to obey. They obey blessings. They disobey chastening. But, but if, if we don't teach those things, then you do, you're running a risk. You know, and I'm not saying it's a guarantee every time, but it's better to give concrete reasons for things. God does that here. You listen to the voice of your wife. You disobeyed me when I said this. Because you did that, here's what's going to happen now. And here's the, the consequence. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Now, I'm not going to get real deep into this, but if we, if we think about it for a moment, the result of the earth, I mean, even when you think about a hurricane, how many of you have studied hurricanes before, how they start? A few of you are nerds like me. I'm fascinated by those things. They are, I don't enjoy them when they happen, but the fact that they're formed by just a strong gust that just finds enough to get into warm water, and then it, it turns into a terrible, powerful engine of a storm. That blows my mind away. That's a result of the curse that we see here. Think about earthquakes for a moment. I think there was just an earthquake in Florida this, a, a, a couple weeks ago. Was some, something like that. Maybe there wasn't. But yeah, I think there was, yeah. And it, they, it was making a lot of news, and people were like, oh, that's concerning. That's not a natural part of God's order that was there in the garden. It's a result of the fall. The fact that we have to till soil. You know why we don't have basements here in Florida? You dig far enough, you're swimming. It just doesn't happen. Uh, that, I, I don't think that these were a part of God's design and plan. We know in the new heaven and the new earth, there's not going to be any C, S-E-A. And I, I don't know why that is, but we're going we're gonna to experience that, and it's going to be fine, by the way. 
it's going to be fine. All the people that like the beats are like, oh, don't worry. You won't even have the ability to say, oh, it'll just be like, good. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> but we see these things that happen. 18 is further down. The ground is going to produce something now. Not only is it cursed, thorns also and, and thistles also it, uh, shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. So there was obviously, whatever the form was before the fall, now the ground is going to be a source of supply. And then verse 19, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. So now we have this vicious cycle where before we had a straight line communion with the Lord. Now we have this. We, we come up out of the ground, we, we rise above it, we, we get old, we crouch down, and then we're, we're right back into the ground. You read in this statement here a lot of what Ecclesiastes says. Vanity of vanity. There ain't nothing. You, man makes plans, right? I can have a plan for what I want to do with, with my money after I die, but very quickly something can change and my plans get pushed off to the side. There's nothing really that we can control as far as, uh, as far as the things that happen to us, but what you can control is the way you choose to process them. That's very important. We talked about victim mentality. We've talked about it before. There are so many people that are looking to be the victim in their story. That's not a healthy mindset. Nor are you to be the avenger either. You're not supposed to be the one who gets revenge. You are supposed to be as that child that runs to mom and dad. You trust in the Lord. You don't know how it's all going to work out, except for you're going to be with the Lord one day. But for the things you don't know, you give them to the Lord in your strengths. You thank God for it. Amen? This is a healthier way to process things. Anyway, so then number two here, God has control over these consequences. We actually looked at this last week, did we not? We saw in Mark chapter 4, the disciples going across Sea of Galilee, a storm comes up. The storm comes up. They're about to die. The boat is going to be capsized. The, the, the disciples say to Jesus, Master, cares not, that, uh, not thou that we perish? What does Jesus do? He rebukes the winds and everything calms. So God has control over this. You read Job in God's questioning, scathing questioning of Job, you find out there's a lot of things that God controls that we don't even understand. I just saw something interesting uh, the other day talking about oil rigs, those big, big oil rigs that are in the middle of the ocean. I always wondered, how are those things supported? Because you see huge uh, waves come up and, and that thing never capsizes. But what, they don't drill all the way down to the very depths of the ocean. We haven't gotten down there. That's a pretty interesting concept. When you think about all the things we have done above ground, the ocean, not as easy. The way they do it is they have it on an inflatable. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know how I would feel if I was working on that rig. Like I'm basically on a giant inner tube. But then they, <laughs> yeah, you think about that for a moment. Then they have these these lines that go down and basically anchors that they just drop, and the 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 uh, the pulling down of the ocean's gravity and all of that keeps it stable from the wind. But at some point that would fail, and this is a result of things that. We don't have control of, but God does have control of those things. We can't even understand that. This is how we you know, try to work with getting oil out of the ocean. 
Uh, and it, it works for now, but there's going to come a time, you read in the tribulation, some of the things are going to happen as results of these seals and vials. A third of the earth's water supply being turned to blood is catastrophic. I mean, you're, you're talking about massive casualties in the millions. And we don't understand that. We have policies today, climate control. Go read about it. Forget about the Democrat, Republican viewpoints. Just read at how prideful man thinks about himself that he can control the weather. You know, if that's true, why are we, you know, why do we all panic as to where a hurricane's gonna go? I mean, I'm not a, like I said, I'm not a meteorologist, but I can see simple, you know, that spaghetti model, there's always that one, you know, that's like all the way off to the side. How did that happen? Well, because we're not sure. God has control over those consequences, though, and he can use them as a form of punishment. And and this is, when you start to think of our country, you start to think about what, what America is saying about God, saying about his creation, folks, I don't know what kind of persecution is going to come down on this nation before the Lord comes back. But what is being said, I mean, just about what's being said with the, um, the war over in Israel right now. Some of the things are being brashly said on, on, uh, you know, by our politicians and stuff. You're like, nothing has changed about that promise that if you bless Israel, you'll be blessed, and if you curse Israel, you'll be cursed. So we just we got to keep that in mind. Anyway, moving on to the next one. As far as natural evil is concerned, God, excuse me, moral evil satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ, right? That has been paid for. What about the natural evil? Well, let's take, let's take a look at Revelation 21, okay? Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Sometimes I think about, you know, the, the things that I just don't understand about my new nature as, as far as because I have this old nature, it's, it's always going to be in, in conflict with my new nature. I don't understand what it is to be sinless. I can experience joy and fellowship as what I'll have in heaven, but I don't understand 1 John 3, 1 through 2, where it says I'm going to see him and be like him. I just know it's a, it's a guarantee it's going to happen because the blood of Christ has been applied to my sin. Amen? But when we look at the description of what the end all is going to be after everything is done. We have a satisfaction to these consequences that have been given. Uh, and the, the, the note there says, God will deliver man from these consequences in eternity through the person of Jesus Christ. And the cross reference there, we're going to read it now, Revelation 21, 1 through 5. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the the building, the residence of God, is with men. That That is what we're seeing today as the body of Christ is being built and what we saw in the Old Testament was the, the tabernacle was there, but it's a figure. And this is the significance of Jesus going into heaven in the real tabernacle and offering his blood. Everything that's gone on here, I mean, the temple now is destroyed. That means there's plans to rebuild it, and they're ready to do that. Latest data I've heard is I think half a year they could get that built and ready to go. And that there's 
Levitical priests that are training to resume their roles. I just got goosebumps. That's crazy. That's crazy to think how ready Israel is to bring in the, <laughs> the, next, the next temple. And, and the Antichrist is going to walk right into that thing. And he's going to be welcomed and he'll be shown where the door is. <laughs> anyway, but now the tabernacle in, in this last time and in, in the end of it all, it's not just a figure of it. It's there. Is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. This is as it is intended. This is a part of that preordained plan before the creation of the world. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. How many of you have cried happy tears before? I mean, I'm, yeah. I, 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 if I'm crying most of the time, it's because I'm overwhelmed with God's goodness. It really is. There, there'll be times I'm in my office and I'm just studying basic things, and I get overwhelmed by recognizing what I have in the person of Christ. I, I, I'm, I'm so blessed by it. I think about what God has done in my personal life and, and my wife as well, we have, we have a daughter. That's just beyond what I would have thought God could do. But he did it, and I'm thankful for it. There's not even going to be happy tears in heaven. It's going to be, what I would just say outside of the word perfection is total satisfaction. Total satisfaction. And there shall be no more death. Now th- this means no more separation which is what death exactly is. There's two forms of death, the physical and the spiritual. We're all born spiritually separated. When we die, soul, spirit, separated from the body. The second death is when that soul and spirit is separated from God. In the new heaven and the new earth, there is no more separation. Neither sorrow, that's a very interesting word. Why? Because that's one of the first consequences that's given to mankind. You remember that from Genesis 3.16? The woman has what multiplied? Sorrow. The man has what given to him? Sorrow. In sorrow, he's going to do all these things. Nor crying, neither shall there be any more. Hallelujah. You know what you can say here? Neither will there be any more aleve, ibuprofen. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? None of that. No more pain. Why? For the former things, which is the structure of the world under sin, are passed away. Even that property that you own, even that nice car that you have, even all that money at Bank of America. There is no Bank of America in heaven. I'm sorry. There's only PNC. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. But all, all that's gone. Things that we can build idols unto now, they will not be here in the new heaven and new earth. Anyway, that, that's not the point, but that is an interesting thing to no, mark here. Verse 5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. That, that phrase, true and faithful, is almost identical to when Jesus would say, Verily, verily. So the things that John is recording here, he's getting them directly from God. Later on in, in the passage, it talks about There will be no need for the sun because the lamb will be the light. There's no need for S-U-N. We have the S-O-N. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. But it's, it's a good reminder. And this is all because Christ died for sins. All of it could not be done without Jesus Christ. So the moral evil has been taken care of. 
in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, as will the natural evil. But we do not see that yet. And that is very important to remember. You're not looking for that new heaven and new earth to happen here. This has got to all go away. You, are all, you should already have the satisfaction in the fact that you are saved. You're going to get there. Not of your own volition, but because God has said it will come to pass for all those who have believed. This will solve a lot of people's problems. Recognizing that all these things that are happening to me, they're a result of sin that was brought into the world, and there's coming a day where there is no more sin. But some, some people get really depressed, and it's just become, life's burdens become heavy because they look at this as some type of thing that is a sign they're not saved or they're not faithful enough, whatever it may be. Most of these things are happening as a natural result. Now, God can use things to discipline us, and that's going to have to be between you and God. You're going to have to have an honest look at, am I obedient? Am I disobedient? And that's not the purpose of this discussion. But I want you to see that there, Genesis 3, 16 through 19, how it came in, Revelation 21, 1 through 5, how it's going to go out and how it'll be done. All right, now question number three, these next two we'll go over. Uh, what is God's purpose for man? Huge question. Really big question. But it, but it can be answered, and I've got it up here the best that I can summarize it. God's purpose for man is to redeem them through Jesus Christ. Now, there's two programs that God's running. I heard this illustration, excuse me, from Yankee, and I just loved it. There's two DVDs that are playing in, in history. The Israel, the chosen nation, Israel, DVD, and the church. The church, that was kind of the bonus feature that nobody knew was coming. But it's there, and it's playing right now. From Genesis all the way up to, I believe, at the cross, uh, maybe you could say Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came down, was God bringing about the offering of the kingdom. And Jesus made that offer, and he was rejected, and he's put on the cross, just like God knew it would go. Then when the Holy Spirit came down and Jesus had ascended, that whole plan to build that chosen nation out stopped for a moment. A moment. And we're now building the body of Christ, which is a new thing. We're going to get way into this when we go through dispensations and how God deals with man according to his sin and his responsibility to God's instruction. But what we're doing now is we're playing this second part of the program and when the rapture happens, that program, which is the church, is done. The body of Christ is finished. Seven-year tribulation, thousand-year reign, judgments or the great white throne judgment, eternity. And these, these two things, they don't merge into one, and that's called replacement theology. Some people will say, well, because Israel rejected the Messiah physically, God is now done with them physically, and he's bringing about the spiritual new Israel. And they'll use phrases where it says, behold, not all Israel is Israel when Jesus writes his letters and stuff. You got to watch out for that. It's very dangerous. There's, there, there's some conservative Christians that believe like we do that condemn Israel because they reject the Messiah. My heart for every Jewish person is for them to change their mind and trust in Jesus. But I still pray for Israel. And I won't stop praying for Israel. Because that, that's God's nation. That's his land. 
And like, we have to keep that in mind. We start changing that, we start violating major principles in the Old Testament. You, we become no better than like the Assyrian kings and things like that that tried to totally wipe out Israel. All right, we got to move a little quickly. So let's go to Isaiah uh, 14, shall we? Let's look at the program for Israel. Isaiah 14, 24 through 27. Are you having a good time? I'm having a good time. This is fun. We were playing that game the other day, and my nephew, I don't know how many of y'all have played that game Pit before, but it's like, you know, he go, my nephew, uh, how old is Chase, Jan, 15? He, he, uh, he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he whispers in my ear, this is an old man's game. I was like, this game is fun. <laughs> but I remember when I was 15, you know, I would have thought that was an old man's game too, but man, I love it now. And I'm not even old. I'm not even that old. <laughs> Isaiah 14, 24 through 27. I, I gave you that illustration because I just think this stuff is so much fun. I love studying the Word. Isaiah 14, 24. The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land, and upon my mountains tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart from off them, and his burden depart from off their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth. So we know here first, hang on, for we're looking at something. There's surely a judgment of Babylon going on here, but we're now, we've all of a sudden zoomed out. We've set the context to not just the Israeli piece of land. We're talking about the entire earth now. A lot of Old Testament uh, scripture and prophecy is written this way. Some say there's like a near-far prophecy element. I'm okay with that. A lot of times that near-far kind of falls apart, but it's compounded. There's a relevant thing in the beginning to what's actually going to come to pass, and then there's something that's going to be this relevant thing as an example of what's going to happen on a larger scale. And that's what we see here. And Schofield even has a note. Um, and it's, it's a good note. It's on the bottom there. But anyway, um, sorry, I lost my place there. And this is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations, for the Lord of hosts hath, hath purposed. And who shall disannul it? Think of Peter for a moment. When he said, Lord, be it far from thee, we're not going to let you go to the cross. Peter going to stop that plan that God has foreordained? No, he's not. He, he may try, and he didn't, but uh, not going to stop it from going on. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out. This is usually done by a king when he makes a decree. He stretches out his hand, he makes his decree, and once it's done, it's done. There is no deliberation on That's wrong, Baba. Well, guess what? If you're in disagreement to it, you're going to be against him. And the statement in 27 with the who shall disannul it and who shall turn it, the Lord's hand back, speaks to God's sovereignty. He said it's going to happen, so it's going to happen. That's the plan for Israel. And Israel's been counterproductive to that plan. They rejected the Messiah. They continually reject the Messiah. They're going to welcome in the Antichrist strike a three-and-a-half-year peace deal with them, and the Antichrist is going to go into the temple and slaughter probably a pig or some other profane animal on the altar and then turn his wrath to the Jewish people. And that's when Jesus says, 
woe uh, un, uh, unto them that have to flee in the winter or unto a nursing mother. It's going to be brutal, brutal. I honestly thought we saw a little picture of that on, on October 7th with that massacre that happened. I, was, I think I was talking to Jan about it the other day. If what happened there in Israel happened here in America, I mean, I can't imagine. But it, it was a reality for them. Very similar in, in the last times, or excuse me, in the tribulation period. But God's going to come and he's going to restore it. He said it. Who's going to turn it back? He's put his hand out. Who's going against him? We know the whole world's going to go against him, but he will have his, his victory. The Lord comes back. The armies are, are going after him, and he a sharp sword proceeds out of his mouth. I don't know. I would not. I don't know if that's literally a sword, but I know the word is sharp. It's quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. He may he may be speaking scripture from the Old Testament there, and people are just falling left and right. You think of Nimrod. We're going to build up to the heavens. We're going to get to God. How'd that go? You ever speak to someone who's a different language? That's how that went. Man makes plans, I'm telling you. Now, what about the program for the church? Let's look. Ephesians 1. <coughs> in, this, <clears throat> in, in the book that I'm reading, You and Your Creator, which, which I, I think is very good, um, he talks about a lot of people, they purpose within themselves you know, financial motivation, athletic success, uh, political endeavors, and they say, well, this is my purpose and all these different things. The purpose is to find redemption between you and God and the person of Christ. That, that's what it is. Now, we all have different things that we're doing in God's individual plan for us, but universally, you need to be redeemed. You need to have a payment for your sin. Uh, and, and then you get into the specifics. Many members, one body, but it's, it's all about getting into that redemption. Ephesians 1, 8, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in all things, excuse me, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained, we have obtained, already have it, an inheritance, that inheritance is eternal life, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. The predestination is that you would be elect. And the elect is not necessarily you as an individual. The elect is Christ. That's Jesus. You believe on him, you're inside his body. You're a part of the elect. Bingo. Solves election. But there's a significance to that statement because this, this was a mystery. A new thing? Jew and Gentile? When a Jew gets saved today, I remember hearing this from uh, Jay Kaminsky. Don't you miss Jay? I'm, you know, we keep praying for him and for Marianne too. But I remember, I remember talking to Jay and we were doing an interview and he, you know, he stopped the interview and he said, listen, I, I, don't, I don't prefer to be called a Messianic Jew. And that was a, a, a new thing to me because I've, I've seen a lot of converted Jews use that. He says, I'm a Christian. I'm a part of the body of Christ. And that man totally changed my perspective on it. And he quoted to me, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no bond nor free, nor male or female. It's the body of Christ. Bingo, Jay. He understands this mystery that was hidden before. 
verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Oops, uh-oh. Just what we talked about, and I, I did it. Oh, no. Okay, we got it. Hang on. Exit. Come on, man. Poof. Oh, man. Hey, all you, you know, just waiting for that last person to start praying. And it happened. All right, look at uh, chapter 3, Ephesians, verses 1 through 7, quickly. We'll take some breaks here every now and then. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, that grace is shown now outside of Israel, how that by revelation he, Christ, made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, this body of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Here's the revelation, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the good news. So specifically that gospel is the same gospel from Romans 1.16 the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we see in 1 Corinthians 15. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. God got involved in Paul's conversion. He appeared to him. Didn't make Paul believe, but he brought it to his attention for a purpose. So we see the program of the church is to build the body of Christ, to show forth the glory of God. The purpose of Israel is to rule and reign through God's chosen people. That, that's the purpose of man. It's not the accumulation of wealth. It's not you know, perfect health, all that kind of stuff. Whatever Those things, they have their place, but that's not our purpose. I kind of cringe when I hear people say, well, God hasn't chosen me to do that. Don't say that, because you're not sure. And be careful that you're not actually thwarting God from doing what he wants to do in your life. How about we just let God do what he's going to do, amen? And, and, and we'll say that it's good. Last one here, it's 657, so we're, we're going to go just a little over, so bear with me. Question number four, is there life beyond the grave? So we've, we've asked these four questions, which the author M.J. Thierry says were important in his conversion, but he's also seen in other people's conversion. They have these four basic questions. And of course, the answer is yes, there is life beyond the grave because there's death here. Things just don't stop. This, this, this is a part of the whole discussion about spirituality and we're born spiritually dead. I didn't include Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Go read that. We, we were born in a separated state. But we're going to look at these two passages here because uh, they, they, they give us quite a bit about this idea of life after death. Look in 1 Corinthians 15, verses uh, 51 through 53. Page 1227. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, die, but we shall all be changed, which is transformed, in a moment, in the twinkling 
of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Right now there is a duality within man, the saved man. He has his old nature and his new nature and they're in conflict with one another. At the rapture, those who are alive and are believers will experience the transformation of the shedding of the old man corruption and the putting on of the new man incorruptible. That's what that means. That is the beginning of the real experience of eternal life, but the beginning of eternal life begins when you put your trust in Christ. We can experience it in its fullness when we die or when we're raptured, but that is, we, you have eternal life right now. You're not waiting to get that. You've got it. For, you know, imagine for a moment you are, you're marked, you, and, and that mark is the seal of the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Now look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Ooh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is really good. We're going to read the first half of it. I'm not going to stop for a lot of things because it speaks really plainly for itself. Paul's wrapping up his discussion of the ministry here in chapter 4, and he's now talking about the guarantee of a change from the earthly tabernacle to a new one. Tabernacle, you know, we don't say that today like, I'm going back to my tabernacle. It's a house, like a building, so to speak. And of course, this is an illustration of our body where our souls are living. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have, to guarantee, a building or tabernacle of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So it's waiting for you. This conversion is waiting for you. For in this, the earthly, we groan. <laughs> Amen? Try bending over and picking up something a lot. I bet you the older you get, the more <clears throat> you make, you know? Earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Not only do we groan, you know, physically in the things that we say, but we also yearn for the conversion. Are you ready for that new body? Are you ready for all this to be over and we be with the Lord? Amen? I'm ready for it. I'm looking for it. That's the description of groaning. We desire it. If so be that we be clothed, we shall not be found naked without a spiritual tabernacle, which would infer no salvation. Someone who does, is not properly prepared for eternity. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, the physical, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the self uh, same thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. This new nature is wrought by what God has decreed to those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. You have the guarantee of life beyond the grave. And the opposite is death. You're still very much conscious, but you're separated from God. That's for the unbeliever. Therefore, we are always confident. There's a result of this. Yeah, you have a body that hurts, and you want to go home to heaven, but you shouldn't have a lack of confidence. You should always be confident because of this guarantee. Knowing that, what's the confidence? Whilst we are at home in the body, in the physical, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. I don't know what that, body, that new body is going to look like, but I know it's there. We are confident. I, that's the second time he said that. 
I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We want that. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, regardless of what condition we are in, we may be accepted by him. And that verse puts light onto, onto verses 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, separate judgment for believers, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or, pro, uh, excuse me, good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are manifest in your consciences. Those three verses, 9, 10, and 11, are very important about that judgment seat of Christ. It is hinging on verse 9. Absent or present from the body, we labor so that we can be accepted of him. You will stand before God and give an account of the time and how you spent it. It's not about your sin. You're standing in front of the one who paid for sin. But it will be about how you used your time. And, and, and that's something that you have to, and myself as well, we have to come to grips with that. I know people that, you know, they, they have gotten saved late in life, but they still want to do something for the Lord. And I believe God will honor them for that. Even though they wasted most of their life, they'll have little, but they'll at least have something. What's really a shame is for the believer that just lives in their carnality, uses their salvation as a license to sin. First of all, I don't think that person will be around physically for a long time. 1 John 5 talks about there is a sin unto death. I don't think that means a specific sin, but I think there's an amount of it where God's just going to take you home, which is ultimately deliverance, but you've wasted the only time we have to serve the Lord. <coughs> but all these promises and guaranteed guarantees speak about the quality of how we're going to reign with the Lord in the thousand years. I can't, I can't imagine living for a thousand years. Can you? You know, I'm just trying to get to life expectancy. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on trip 33 right now, and there's a lot that I've forgotten. And I, I can't imagine what it would be like to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years, knowing that in this limited time I have here, it impacts how that service is going to be. When I look at the cross and I see the holes in his hands and the holes in his feet and I see the blood that was shed, I don't come to any other conclusion but I want to live for him. And, and, and that's a decision that the word has shown to me and I've made that decision. And I want other believers to make that same decision. But I can't do it for you. You write on my faith, as soon as I'm out of the picture, so is your faith. I can't tell you how many students I saw come to college and everything was taken care of and everything was all good, and they don't make it through one semester. There's a reason why that is. They got no skin in the game. It's all provided. Pick up your cross. Coming after the Lord is different from coming unto the Lord. Coming unto the Lord is free. You want to follow after the Lord? That is sacrifice. That is work. But with your mindset, it's It's joy. The burden is light <laughs> compared to what we had before, which was condemnation. We have acceptance now. I hope you learned a little bit from this little two-part series. We're going to put it up on Sermon Audio, and we'll see how it, how it fares. I did, like I said, wrote uh, to MJ Teary and just told him I'd like to use his stuff, and he said, that's fine, just make sure you quote it. <coughs> and we did. Um, if you're interested in that book, I can show you where you can buy it on his website or on Amazon. I haven't read through the whole thing, so I can't fully endorse it, but what I have read, it's real good. And he sounds to be, he, he, he sounds to be very good on the gospel too. Speaking of the gospel, look up here for a moment. I want to share with you how you can know you have 
everlasting life. We can go and turn the lights back on. This hand represents you and me. This represents sin. I put it on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God in a literal fire-burning hell. You have to be absolutely perfect to get to heaven, but again, we all fall short. It's the very definition of sin, to miss the mark. God loves us, hates our sin. This separates us from Him. All the world religions outside of Christianity, which I don't even like calling a religion. That word means man binding himself back to God, and that's not what we're trying to do. But all the major religions teach that there is some way you can pay for this here, whether it's through sacrifice or self-inflicted pain, whatever. I mean, there's some stuff, you go look at what people are doing trying to get to heaven, it's a tragedy. It is a tragedy what people think will get them there. There are no good works that can get you in the proper standing with God. This has to be paid for. And this hand will represent Jesus Christ, and he did pay for that sin. He went to the cross fully God and fully man. He took on all that sin. And he cried out on the cross, by the way, it is finished. Meaning in that moment, sin is paid. It's done. There was not some fight. I, I, I was raised in a Southern Baptist church. I remember one of the teachers talking about that, that Jesus went and fought the devil and for three days. That's not in the Bible. He had the victory on the cross, amen? He says it is finished. I hang my entire life on that statement. All that sin paid for by him. It's applied to you when you, by faith, receive that free gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, Jesus Christ, should not perish but have everlasting life. You're born again. It's all taken care of. It is completed in that one moment. Salvation is available. It's been made available by Christ on the cross. It is applied to you when you receive it by faith. You put your trust in Jesus Christ that his shed blood as the Son of God paid for your sin, you receive the free gift of everlasting life. And that's that, folks. Now we have, the shackles are gone, and we can live a life that brings praise, honor, and glory to the Lord. We have redemption. You have fulfilled the purpose. Amen? And it's a wonderful life after that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed, knives are closed. If you're watching on the internet, or maybe you're seeing this later, I don't know how successful this series may be. might get a lot of attention. Right where you're sitting, um, at your computer, wherever it may be, you can, you can get saved. Just simply change your mind from unbelief to belief. Believe that what Jesus Christ did as the Son of God by shedding His blood at Calvary, His burial, burial and resurrection paid for your sin. The moment that you do that, you're saved. You say, well, I'm not listening to it at the time of this recording. It doesn't matter. If you're alive, you still have an opportunity to believe. And I pray that you would do so. If you're here tonight and that makes sense to you, would you just lift up your hand and let me know? I'd love to pray for you. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know. Anyone before we close? Heads bowed, knives are closed. Think about the, the, the truth of the scripture we looked at. I know it was a lot of scripture tonight. We went over a little bit. But I pray it's been beneficial to you. Can we take a moment and thank the Lord for our salvation? Can we thank God for His Son, Jesus Christ? Can we thank Him for eternal life? And I pray that you're, if, if you're down tonight, you're feeling the burden of life, just know this ain't it, folks. We got a tabernacle in heaven. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. 
Bless all those that are here tonight and online too. Bring us back here safely on Wednesday evening. Bless the littles back there. That Awana program is growing and it just makes me so happy to see it. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.